are you? Good. Do not adjust your phones or any other listening device that you listen to podcasts on. This is Ryan Dean Halbrook and this is Dustin Moat. And we're here to interview the second half of Connor and Smith, Mr. Stephen Gregory from My Bet Days, Lee Smith. Mm. How are you tonight, Steve? I'm good. This is Thank weird. you so much for letting us uh, come in and pick your brain. Absolutely. There's not much left, so you're welcome to whatever you find. <laughs> Quite a day, huh? Quite a day for you? No, it's just, um, just a, it's just these dogs. Eddie, no, no. It's just these silly pugs. Um, yeah. Eddie made an appearance with Matt, so it's, you know, he's he's closing the circle and making an appearance in your, uh, your episode he as well. Is, he is an attention seeker. <laughs> um, the other brother is the good son. And he's quietly, you know, cuddled up like a loaf of bread on his little bed. So, of course, yeah. my son is the problem child and the good son is Matthew. So there you go. Uh, of course, as as that would stand. Mm -hmm. So how does it feel to be on the other side of the microphone? Uh, weird. Weird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you, you, uh, you feel ready and uh, open? Is this your first podcast being interviewed on? yeah wow okay all right so it is a real big turning of the tables yes um so let's uh let's let's go ahead and start this uh mama jamma yeah. all right so i know Stephen, that you are originally from the pennsylvania mm -hmm. right what part of pennsylvania are you from um southwest pennsylvania um so south of pittsburgh uh in a little town called connellsville pennsylvania that uh, was famous for nothing. Um, I was just going to say, is it famous for like <laughs> hubcaps or coal and coke ovens? Okay, what's a coke <laughs> oven? Yeah. It's it's a bituminous um, coal. It's this is too <laughs> too boring to get into. <laughs> very mountainous territory uh, that I grew up in. Very heavily wooded. There was a wonderful, charming street not far from my house called Slaughterhouse Lane. That's um, very fitting. Hey. And that's where you took your deer um, to get butchered. Oh my God. There was a sign uh, that that was had a backwards R, like, you know, how we make fun of things <laughs> like that, but it was actual. Um, it said deer cutting here and with an arrow and it was painted in red. Which was probably blood. I mean, <laughs> There's a couple of chainsaw stores. So did you like ride oh, your nice. bike around? Mm-hmm. I mean, not. Not like Stranger Things like? In my neighborhood. Yeah. But uh, we called our neighborhood the Patch, which is not uncommon in the world. But um, in our little patch, I would ride it around. Yeah. We used to go on uh, bike rides after dinner with my dad. Yeah. Okay. Did you grow up hunting? Oh, No. No. <laughs> no. You were just surrounded by dead deer. No, everyone else did, but no, that was not my thing. No, but venison was something that you ate. Very lean meat, and it freezes beautifully, and we would, uh, not always, but we would be given some by uh, friends, neighbors, whatever. It was like, you know, everyone had, like, my, my freezer's too full of venison. You want some, you know? So what were you, as a kid, with your your friends riding around on your bike in your neighborhood, what was like the thing that you guys all loved that like maybe still inspires you today? 
Um, it sounds like Stranger Things, but Dungeons and Dragons. Really? Um, oh, right. You have all those original Dungeons yeah. and Dragons books. That's yeah. Like... Dungeons oh, and wow. Dragons. Uh, action figures were big when we were kids, you know, before people had screens. Um, so I had a lot of He-Man and G.I. Joes and all the hyper-masculine toys that made me gay, you know. <laughs> And have impossible you, views on my own, like physique that I'll never achieve. That kind of thing. No. Did Did you live in the same house uh, your entire childhood, and like your family is still there, and we could go back and find your toys up in the attic? I still have my toys. I took them with me. Um, Smart. Really yeah. Nice. I uh, we did grow up in the same place uh, most of my life um, that I can remember, and. It was still in my family until my father passed in 2019. And my mom sold the house and moved up closer to my brother in Greensburg, which is just a little 45 minutes closer to Pittsburgh. So the house is still there. It's just other people live in it. So it's <laughs> other memories weird. are being made. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird to think that people are living there. Yes. So, yeah. Tell me uh, what got you bit by the theater bug was did this happen in Connellsville yeah did you were you like born tapping I um I was always very dramatic uh around the house if you can imagine that um I used to have this miniature piano like an upright miniature upright and sometimes I would pull it on top of me and act like the piano fell on me just to see if what my mom would do <laughs> And it would make this wonderful crash, this dang. And I'd be like, mom, mom, it fell on me. Wow, she, you, were, you were ready for your close-up. I was. She knew I was bullshitting every time. Because a piano just doesn't fall, you know? It was, you, you weren't the boy who cried wolf where it actually fell on you at any point. Never. Okay, never. that's good. That's good. I had two brothers uh, older. Closest in age was uh, seven years um, older than me. So I was always kind of like hanging around them and trying to be the tag along. Um, and they were both in the musicals at their high school. Um, my oldest brother, Jeffrey, was in No No Nanette, which seems like the kind of show they do at Shenandoah, funny enough. Right. Um, and then my brother ran crew for, no, no, wait, I'm messing this up. No No Nanette was one. And then My Fair Lady was another one that my brother was in, my brother James. Um, and I was awestruck by the the people who played the leads and to the point where like, I wanted pictures with them afterwards. And how old were you at this time? I, I'd probably say seven or eight. Okay. Um, so it was a very young, like you seen actually something on stage. There's, there's also another part of this. My Nana, my mom's mom, who, you know, God rest, uh, passed away in the early 90s. She, she, I would go down to her house, which was uh, just a little, a walk through the woods, over the river through the woods to Nana's house I went. It was <laughs> literally, I walked through the woods. There was a pathway. Did you wear a red hoodie? I did not. No, okay. I never <laughs> had one. Um, but I would go to her place and she had all these records and had all these cast recordings of shows and would put them on. And I would be like, what is this? 
and she would explain and then she'd tell me to read the record you know because it'll have the synopsis and so I started listening to you know that kind of music at a very early age so when My Fair Lady came I was like oh this is the one with God in the clouds in the puppet strings yeah got it know it um so then I became so obsessed with that after I saw it that I this is a true story um I started building sets in the basement because I was going to put on My Fair Lady in my basement um, and started casting my friends like a cast list. (laughs) (laughs) And then I decided that we needed to be groundbreaking and innovative. So I was writing another, a new scene for My Fair Lady. And that scene was when Pickering and Higgins went shopping for Eliza because I figured that would be a really funny scene and someone should have written that. Um, And it happened at a mall because that's (laughs) where I thought anyone bought clothes at the time. And, you know, so Pickering and Higgins went to a mall. Um, That's all I remember of that. But my parents like thought it was kind of funny until like they started hearing the hammering downstairs and I was building sets um, and painting them out of like my father's scrap wood basically and then they were like we got to do something with this kid so there was auditions for there was a a local like community theater group based out of a methodist church called uh asbury theater guild out of asbury methodist church and they took me to audition for oliver um and I, so I watched the film and was like obsessed with it. And so I decided I was going to sing, get me to the church on time from my fair lady for this audition. Cause I could do the Cockney accent because I, you know, listened to it so much. And so I took one of my dad's beer bottles and put it in a brown paper bag and use it as a prop uh, at like eight years old, whatever I was. Um, and acted drunk and saying, get me to the church on time <laughs> for my audition. And I got the role of Oliver. So that was kind of it. Wow. Yeah. Like wow, right so off early. the bat. Yeah, yeah, so early. And then I just kind of did community theater and high school theater. Was there a person that like sticks out to you that kind of like recognized in you like a you know uh, somebody you looked up to that like really pushed you towards that even more every one of the adult cast members became my idols i always had friends who were older than me i didn't i mean yeah i hung out with kids my own age but i was never attracted to that i was attracted to knowledge and experience and so all those older cast members i befriended and i wanted to and i felt like i was on their level Cause you know, I was a lead, it was the title role. And I watched them, David Fox uh, was the gentleman who played the Beatle, who was very funny. Um, uh, Cindy Molinaro and Henry Molinaro played Fagin and Nancy, um, all these people. Bill Drusey directed it. Um, I, it. None of these names mean anything to anybody listening, but they mean something to me because they were like the people the people that uh, I was learning from by watching and first time being directed. Um, and it was, uh, that was formative. I mean, it was, it was, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, basically. 
Did you have any vocal training to prepare you or was listening to the records how you, yeah. how you learned how to sing? No, I didn't have any. I mean, I was in chorus always. So I guess if you can consider chorus vocal training, I didn't have like private lessons or anything. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I always sung um, in the chorus and the choir. I had had, I, I, I will back this up. I was the lead in something before that. It was the like fourth grade choral concert put on a show called It's a Small World After All. And it's just like it sounds. <laughs> and I was the travel agent who was like the through line of the show, taking you to different places. And we would sing music from that country or whatever. So explain to me, like, so I know that you're like huge into weather as well. Like, was there a certain point since you started so young? I think you went in high school, you were Joseph as well, right? Yeah. 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 So like, was were you into weather too? Was there something else that you were like, you know what, I might do this instead? Yeah. It was weather. It was weather. Yeah. Like being a meteorologist. What what fascinates you about weather? It's because you can get it wrong and nobody <laughs> blames you. <laughs> yeah, because it seems really appealing to be hated by an entire metro region. Um, I think the power of it and the powerlessness we have against it. Um, I've always been obsessed with things that I probably want to be, which is like controlling of everything and everyone's paying attention to me and I have total power. Like I'm joking, but half kind of not. Like I love the image. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I was obsessed with uh, giant octopus, giant squids. And I thought, my God, to have that many arms, you could get so much shit done. <laughs> and the same with spiders. I was obsessed with spiders and their webs. And the. And I think it was the same with the like tornadoes and hurricanes I became so obsessed with because it was just the like, it really is if you stop and think about it. And I know this is going to sound weather geeky, but like they happen in other places in the world, but never as much as here. This is like the sweet spot in the world where they happen here more than anywhere else. And, and that's just really fascinating to me. The, the planet's so huge and why in this particular stretch, is there more of these than anything else? So I, that's, I got like, a, I think I was 10. My mom's going to like check me on this, but at 10 or 11, I got a uh, weather center, which was temperature, barometric pressure and humidity dew point um, sensor readings. The old school, like it was a dial, not digital. Right. Um, that most people have, like if they, are on a boat or live by the coast. I know exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Like the long, yeah. the long thing, thing three things. Yeah. 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 And you change it every day to see if it's going up or down. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was like one of the best presents I ever got. And <laughs> I would track the barometric pressure every day and say, well, it's falling. So that it's going to storm soon. I'm not sure when, but I think when we get around, you know, 30 point, you know, whatever barometric pressure. So from a young age, I started to kind of know, oh no, it's going to storm. Oh no, we have to, this is how it is. And I don't know, it was something I wanted to do. I did kind of a visit with the um, big, there's a meteorologist in channel four in Pittsburgh. His name was Joe DiNardo. He used to have a slogan, Joe said it would. Um, And because he was that accurate. Um, and I went to his studio and spent time with him and looked at all the like Doppler radar and everything and just kind of 
dipped my toes into that world. And when I started looking for colleges, I was looking for both meteorology and musical theater. I was gonna, that's what I was going to ask. I was like, so yeah. when you're, you're in high school, you do Joseph. You're like, this is what I really want to do, but I also want to do weather. So you're looking at, at colleges, not only in a uh, uh, music theater kind of thing, totally. but also in a weather thing. What, what made you ultimately choose Shenandoah? It's going to sound like the stupidest thing in the world. Um, it was the summer... I think it was the summer before, I don't know, Twister the movie. Uh, went to see that. Mom was like, look, you could act in a movie about weather. <laughs> <laughs> and truth be told, my math scores were not what they should have been. Um, to get, I mean, I could have got accepted. I don't know if, and math was never my strongest. It's still not my strongest thing. And there's a lot of math involved. And I was much better at um, instinctual, like Joe DiNardo would tell me all these tricks of like, okay, you see that? You see when the leaves start to show their undersides? That's, that's because a storm is coming. And you know a storm is coming when you see the underside of leaves. And it's still true. It's, it's the headwind that comes in front of a storm that, that blows them that way, lifts them up. But things like that, I was always good at like forecasting like out in the field, out in real time, which is really good working for an event organization now because I can kind of be the person that goes, Oh no, no, this, this, we have to cancel this. This is not going to work today. Um, Were your parents supportive going at, you know, cause you're, there's a big dividing line there saying, Oh, I'm going to study science or meteorology or musical theater. How did they feel about that? They would have supported me in either choice 100% and did. It didn't matter. Oh, that's great. It didn't matter. I think my mom wanted me to do musicals more than meteorology. Because she could come and watch them. Yeah, because yeah. she loved watching them. <laughs> yeah, totally. She loves, still to this day, is like, you don't think you'll ever do another show? I'm like, I don't know, mom. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it was 100% uh, supported. I was looking at a college called Millersville University, which is in uh, Eastern PA, uh, towards like Amish country. I don't know what high school Stephen was thinking about like why not choose Amish country for college that sounds like a fucking blast you know um so how I, did you come across Shenandoah then so so we ended up uh going to a Methodist church because my brother Jeffrey started dating this girl who that's where she went to church so we went to this other Methodist church Otterbein Methodist Church and Otter Otterbein Otterbein mm -hmm. O T T E R B E I N very German yeah yeah um, something <laughs> something with a lot of good food um, anyway because we started going there uh, I was in like all the youth ministry like the you know youth group and and uh, the daughter of the minister uh, and his wife was Jenna Reamer and she and I became like best friends and she, we were in musicals together in high school and just knew that's what we wanted to do with our lives. And so she was like, you need to take a look at this college. I'm going, do you want to come with me and mom? And so I did. Uh, we went down and saw the production of good news at Shenandoah. The wonderful, wonderful production of Good News, yes. And I was like, I'm not so sure, you know. 
No, I think Jesus Christ Superstar was first. I oh, think before Good News. Because it wasn't Good News like the Spring Show and JCS the Fall I Show. I think so, yeah. At any rate, um, we saw Jesus Christ. Because I came to both shows before I went there. And I remember grabbing the student newspaper that was like in the hallway and I, just like holding on to it. Much again, like there's an article about like Greg Goodbrod or something like that. And like just reading the names of people and going, these are going to be like my classmates. And much like me kind of idolizing the uh, castmates of my brothers in their um, high school musical, I kind of kind of glommed on to like, these are the upperclassmen I need to like pay attention to. And also in a way, the way you looked at the adults in Oliver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You always learn from observing people who know how to do something or, or have done it longer than you have. And that's always been my MO. So. So then you take it into SU, you start, and were you like all gung-ho, this is, I'm, I'm in for this, everybody you met was great. Was there any bad experience at all in the beginning? Um, I, mean, I think everyone's in honeymoon. One. Um, I remember the first like week or so being, um, well, just like a nonstop party. I mean, when you, I was a pretty good kid in high school i think i yeah i may have drank like at a party once um but i was pretty cloistered um and so was jenna and i think you know we both kind of exploded out of our bodies for a week or two i mean isn't that really kind of the college experience i mean it was for me especially at SU. i don't know about you dustin but like that first week of meeting everybody i was like what in the world is going on i don't know what this is yeah yeah or just you know oh we're going to the party in the hotel and you're like wait what the party in the hotel and then uh and there is no you know there's no curfew there's no end that's it, it it just kind of explode out and maybe go a bit too far at times well yeah i mean i remember um I think that first week was like there was a welcome back show from the Alpha Psi, you know, you know, people and going, oh, my God, these people are all so much better than I ever could be. Um, and then there's auditions for, you know, the fall musical, which was Pippin. And yeah, so like, I don't remember, like, do you start classes and then auditions happen like right after like or is it like a little bit, you know, it was pretty immediate. I feel like it was in that first week. Oh, uh, it was. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Um... Because Steve, you and I were in the same boat there, where as soon as we got in, they're like, hey, welcome. You're going to be in front of absolutely everybody singing. Here you go. Yeah. Yeah. Nerve wracking. Yeah. I even, I even think like it was the day after classes started. You, you knew, I think, the weekend before. And then, you know, you had your first glance at classes. And then I believe like Tuesday or something was the first day. But yeah, it was very soon. Like, hey, get in front of everybody and show us what you got. Was that intimidating for you, Steve? Well, sure. Yeah. I, I, I still remember what I sang. What was it? Because we were in the studio theater. Um, I met Jenny Cartney that week and like would be singing with her in practice rooms at all hours. And she had like every score known to man. And I was like, I want to sing uh, Use What You Got from The Life. Um, 
because I was obsessed with Sam Harris because I saw him as Joseph before I was Joseph. And then I listened to all his albums and taught myself how to sing by emulating his voice. So I wanted to sing that song and I fucking like nailed the audition and like, I'll never, it was one of my best auditions I've ever had. So, yeah. And then you were cast as the lead. Yeah, you were cast in it. I was not cast <laughs> as the lead. No, no, no. Uh, Sam Harris from Star Search? That's yeah. Sam Harris? Yeah. Wow. I remember seeing him on Star Search for all those people that are younger than us. Uh, Star <laughs> Search was a, a talent reality show, I was, guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a guest on the, the podcast. That's right. Yeah. Season one. Season one. Yep. Go back and listen to the Sam Harris podcast yeah. from season one of Connor and Smith. Yeah. Um, yeah, you I were remember. in Pippin, right? Did you you got cast as ensemble? Uh huh. Yeah, um, I got cast in every single musical my entire time at Shenandoah. Um, Did you do SSMT immediately? No, no. Did you work like backstage or anything that summer? Or? No. Oh, really? No, I went home. Okay. Um, were you missing home? No. At any point? No. No, it just wasn't. Uh, it wasn't in the cards that summer. I can't recall exactly what. I think I had like a DUI and that had played into it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I had a DUI and was actually not really drunk. I was actually driving somebody home who was wasted, but I had had like a drink. Right. And then I didn't get uh, the, the guy felt so bad. The you know officer that he didn't um, show up on my court date. So everything was tossed out. Oh, that's amazing. And I think no. it was because he felt bad because he understood the situation, but he still had to charge. Um, right. So I'm pretty sure that played into me having to come home that summer, if you know what I mean. So, okay. Your, what's your perspective, your perspective, your journey of SU? Like, what did you, like, really take from it? What did you throw away from it? Like, Stephen's point of view. Um, it's, it, it's like, you have, it's mini training ground for life, right? Um, you had said something earlier about were there any bad parts? There were bad parts. There were definite bad parts. Um, there was a lot of toxicity in the gay men there, the older upperclassmen gay men. I was what they called canceled at one point, mm. <laughs> which now there's a whole culture of, right? <laughs> yes. uh, the cancel culture was started back in the nineties. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we were very familiar with the ability to cancel somebody very early on. Yeah, and that was like, uh, this goes back to the fact that I met on, at Pippin in the restrooms, I met Matt Connor and like my heart went pitter pat and I was obsessed and like a young stupid gay boy um, started telling everybody I'd met, oh my God, who is that? I think he's so hot. And there's another, I won't name names, but there's another older uh, upperclassmen who basically said, oh no, you can't, you can't hang out around her. She's crazy. And you'll get canceled if you do. And then, so I got canceled. Um, there was like a C put on my door, like for reals, this happened like with. And how do you go on from that? I just made other friends. I, I was like, okay, well, I'm canceled. Woohoo. Yeah, and it's like, it's like, that's right. the moment where you're like, do I give up or do I continue on and figure out a way? It actually, you just bounce, you know? I, 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 I was like, okay, they have sway over this pocket of people. Okay, I'll just talk to another pocket of people. 
another pocket of people. And I ended up befriending so many different people outside of musical theater, in just straight theater, um, the Unity Project boys, like whoever else. I, I, I hung out with everybody. I hung out with the dancers. I hung out with the music um, therapy people. I just, I just broadened my friend circle thinking, well, I'll just make more friends than you have. Right. Yeah. Right. So it kind of benefited you not being pulled into a tight, small circle. Well, sure. I didn't, I wasn't cloistered in one department. Um, and I, I, I think that was kind of in the end, um, it, it helped me be kind of pull out of that weird cliquish little world um, of that, of the musical theater department, um, which could be catty, could be, you know, toxic, like I said, but what is my main takeaway from Shenandoah as my point of view of it? Um, the best thing that happened to me was meeting Matt Connor. Um, everything else was just gravy. I, w I went to Shenandoah to meet Matt Connor. I, I don't know if I gained a ton of anything but experience on stage. I don't think, I think my dance technique was very much improved by Mary Robert and Robin Hart Schroth and all the great dance teachers there. I don't think my acting was greatly improved by anyone except Wendy Herman. No shade against Hal. Um, Hal always liked me. Hal always uh, trusted in my ability to, you know, be in a show and towards the end even went, ah, he can act, you know. But also it, it was tough being a gay boy amongst uh, a bunch of straight musical theater guys who were always gonna get that lead. Cause Hal, however progressive he was, always kind of, you know, and I was also like coming out of the closet with like all my gear on, which has, you know, that was like, it's like when you're first out of the closet gay, you are gay with like all caps. And, you know, then after you go, oh, that's really not me. But I had to do that for a little bit. So I, I'm sure looking at him, like Lindy Herman said to me once, I take it, and I've dressed in things, guys. Like, I I had a necklace that said, bitch. I shaved my hair in a crew cut uh, for Pippin, like, to be androgynous. I wore, like, short shorts and, like, wife beater tank tops and, like, tall socks and like big black Birkenstocks. I really wanted to be a lesbian, I think, but anyway. I'm, I'm just getting a like a vision of the 90s right now mm -hmm. from everything yeah. you're describing. It's like, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the 90s, but you embraced it. And Lindy said to me, I take it by your demeanor that you seem to be very free with your body. <laughs> I wish you'd be that free on stage. Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> But it, it kind of made me go, oh, totally, I get that. And, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily mean to you. It was like, oh, yeah, I get what she's saying. Well, what a fucking brilliant thing to, like, you, you look at someone who's clearly promiscuous, clearly getting it, clearly dressing like they're getting it, and, and yet they close off on stage because they try to be someone else instead of letting themselves come through the character. And that's what I started to do then. And it do you was still so, carry that with you? Do you still carry that, uh, you know, that little lesson with you anytime you think about getting back on stage? Oh, totally. Uh, I mean, I'm not so free with my body anymore, but I uh, <laughs> try to be on a stage. Um, it's, 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 
it's like being naked. It's like being, you have to be a hundred percent authentic. The reason I, uh, and the thing I think I took away from Shenandoah besides Matt Connor and that from Lindy is most of the spaces, except for Armstrong, uh, you know, we, we learned and acted in the small spaces and moving to DC, like on fall break before I graduated, I went to New York and saw some shows. And then I went to DC and saw some shows and I chose DC after that trip. Um, because those people in those small theaters, I was like, they have nowhere to hide. They have to be 100% in it at all times or else you'll, you'll know they're bullshitting. Um, and that's, and I think I liked connecting with an audience in that smaller way. So I, I think that, um, that was another takeaway from SU was like, even though we performed in the Armstrong or the Orson Bryant, you were really performing and trying to do your fucking best when you were in scene study or in directing projects or whatever, because those were your peers judging you. And that's who you, your audience, you really wanted to kind of, you know, impress. So before we get into, uh, as you said, you ch choosing DC and after SU, I want to go back and say, because, you know, we're all well-rounded people and like theater is not our only passion per se. Right. So I, I know you and I know like horrors, movies are a big thing for you. You love uh, John Waters. Mm -hmm. Was <clears throat> was that evolution of what you like pop culture wise, uh, can like did it change at all from when you were a kid like into college and or did you find new things that like just built upon what you already loved sure um but my favorite things still remain those things i found before in my formative years uh my father took me out on the porch and showed me night and living dead uh, on TV, you know, you took your TV out on the porch. Onto the porch? Yeah. Oh, that's why you love watching movies outside. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I remember when, do you remember Suncoast, y'all? Mm. You remember Suncoast? Shout out. Uh, yeah. I, I went and bought a copy, a VHS copy of John Waters' Pink Flamingos and had to hide it and watched it in <laughs> horror over and over again because I was just so obsessed with something that could be so horrific. And it, it, like a traffic accident, I couldn't stop watching it. And when I came to college, I was like, y'all seen this? You know, <laughs> which a lot of people yeah. have not. Um, oh, oh, you showed me so many things. Speci was it you with The Farting Preacher or was that somebody else? The Farting Preacher, I think always I have to credit Dan Waters. It was Dan Waters. Yeah. I mean, I saw so many things in college that I did not know existed. And we didn't have YouTube. Like all this shit's on YouTube right. now. Like yeah, VHS, VHS tapes, tapes right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you had a lot of VHS tapes as well. Still Things do. you recorded off TV. of TV that you were yeah. able to show to people later on. Yep. Yeah, I remember at the parties you would always have the the most obscure content playing on the television. Still do. That just that just filled the atmosphere. That just that set the tone, and and you had such a knack for that. And I, that's one of the things I definitely remember about you as well: being able to come down and find something that I would have never conceived that I would have approached to begin to watch, and and enjoy it thoroughly, and you know take away something from it. So that that's one of my fond memories of you when we did live together at the house. Do you know something that we didn't bring up in? our podcast with you, but I just remembered. What? 
coming back from spring break early and recording with that video camera, a bunch of us like lip syncing and dancing to music. <laughs> Do you still have that? Oh yeah. Uh... <laughs> I think, I think you did like rock and Robin. Um, I would, I think... yeah, that would have been something I would have done. We we danced yeah. we danced in the living room to because we didn't have the fucking like computers at home or cell phones like we had no. to make our own fun and yeah, we... themed parties the absolutely party. yeah but, After... that, but that is something I did want to touch on that you know we all did live in the same you know in the same spooky house yeah uh, for some time and had some really crazy adventures in, in, inside of that and Steve I think you are the mastermind of a lot of it because you. You know, you ran the downstairs. I lived upstairs. You ran the downstairs. And the, every every weekend, there was something thematic yep. going on. But where did you get that from? I don't know. It just do happened. You, do Building steps in the basement. <laughs> yeah. Is that, does that go back to, uh, you know, wanting to write a new scene for My Fair and the Lady and needing some place to, to express it? I think I like to create worlds. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, you, you do a fantastic job with it because, I, you know, we were on paper thin budgets back oh, in yeah. college. And luckily we had a props department and, uh, you know, a scenic design area that we could air quote borrow things from in order to enhance our parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you always had the idea of what kind of what the party it was that we, that we were there to throw. And my, my fondest memories were situated in those parties of course and how late into the night they would go in the the red shade lounge that and how i and how i got you to come downstairs at the valentine's party in a leather thong as cupid yes yeah that that never happened that there there are no photos out there in the world so it never did happen this is before phones There is so a photo, but we won't ever release it. <laughs> Not on Discord, please. It never shows up on Discord. No, 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 no. <laughs> so were you in the back room? Of I was student? in Matt's room. Yeah. You were in Matt's room. You, you were in the back room there. Yeah. And, and did you move in the year after I left? Uh, Which would have been 98. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, around 98. Yep. And so you were living on campus in... Parker, Racy. I did Racy to off campus freshman year. I lived in the Press and Place apartments with Kat Shoemaker um, and Angela Campo. Um, AKA Ramey. AKA Kat. And then um, I'm junior year or uh, sophomore year, I moved. You remember the Budgetel? Yeah. They, mm-hmm. they made that into like student housing, and I loved living there. I lived there for half a year. So I guess, I don't know. I think I was in the house for more than one year. I think I moved, I was in the budget tail for a half, uh, like the fall semester. And I'm pretty sure, yeah, I moved into the house. It couldn't have been sophomore year. No, it would have been your junior. I think I'm I'm quite sorry it was your junior year into your senior year as well. Yeah, I, you know, I've lost so much memory from that time. <laughs> I know I lived in a couple of places. The house was the best. I, I, I yeah. always thought, I don't know why, maybe this is just my bad memory, like thinking that you lived over where Jenny and Sam lived, but you didn't. You just were over there all the time with your oh, Jane Queen cutout. 
so over by the Pre airport, right? Yeah. That, that was Preston Place Apartments, right? Is that Preston Place? Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's just a different... When I lived with Kat, it was over there. Oh, okay. All right, all right. I was over at Jenny and Sam's all the all time. All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. With your James Dean cutout. With my James Dean cutout, yeah. yeah. It was a large cardboard cutout of James Dean. Yes. That would scare me every time I would turn the corner because your room also had like the downstairs bathroom into it. And it yeah. Always, uh, yeah, he would always move around and pop up in a new place. Yep. Which is James Dean is a huge thing for you and I because I remember we were... That's how we bonded. Yeah, we were... Uh, what was it? Was it a dance uh, show we were doing costumes for? Working backstage? And we would smoke cigarettes together out back. And you gave me a James Dean, uh, like, headshot mm. when we were ending, you know, working in the in the dance show. Do you remember that at all? I had just been on a pilgrimage to Fairmont, Indiana. Oh, that's right. Indiana that's right. To see his grave and see the house he grew up in um, and the museum there yeah. because he was my favorite actor. And... Um, I had I, I had a bunch of shit from Fairmount, so I, I'm sure I gave you something from that. Was James Dean on your Alpha Psi plaque? Hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Did you were you in Alpha Psi, Dustin? I uh, no, I was not. I was, which which was uh, a very controversial thing to not be, in, as a theater, you know, in the theater department and not be in Alpha Psi because pretty much the expectation was more power to you. Smart decision, a hundred percent behind you. Yeah, it, it, there was a lot of volunteering. It's a volunteer organization, so there, you guys definitely had a lot. But I, you know, there was certainly a lot of jealousy when watching the hazing period or the uh, or what it, rushing the rushing period. Did you say jealousy? There was there was a bit of jealousy because there was a lot of tight. You know, I could see the the bonds. That were being formed and then of course there's a party that you're not invited to what, what how else do you feel like oh okay there's a, there's a party happening over there but then there was always the after party was at the house so that's, right that's why i i enjoyed living at the house thoroughly oh yeah, yeah. I, I did too i mean once once i was able to get off campus and the fact that all three of us lived in that house at some point I, you know i think i blocked it out was there always mice in the house no <laughs> I remember the one that got caught in the sink, Steve. And you were like, somebody get this mice out of this mice. <laughs> You wouldn't go in. It was like right in the in the kitchen was in the middle of everything, but it got caught in the sink and it couldn't get out. And <laughs> in retrospect, what kind of like lame ass mouse was that that couldn't get out of the fucking sink? <laughs> they can get yeah. anywhere. Um I don't Yeah, it was stuck in there. This is what Okay, you might have had mouse mice in your time there. No, I, I, I just remember somebody else saying that there were mice at one time. I don't remember there being a problem. Okay, there wasn't until. <laughs> and I, I can trace back to what happened. I was doing a show at Burnbraid Dinner Theater in Maryland. And I was commuting from Winchester to Burnbraid, Maryland, back to Winchester at the end of the run of, it was Greece. I was doing Greece with Matt. So you were in school and doing performing. Yeah. Just just towards like the, I think Greece extended into like the first week of school or something. But so I was coming back from that very late at night. And one night I get home, you know, there's that door that went out to the back patio that was in my side of the, the house. It's fucking wide open and had been like, 
And I, I was like, what the fuck happened? And there was a party and then somebody just didn't shut the door. Oh my God. So not only did a mouse, more mice, the whole family, family I, who fucking knows, but bugs came in and I spent the best part of a week like killing bugs. And then we started having, I have a lot of this on video of us like reacting to mice. Like you were recording. I have Mike Hedges looking under my Shea Lounge going, check it, mouse hole right there in the floorboard. <laughs> and I have it all on, on VHS. Um, I can't believe you were going from Burnbray oh, yeah. to it's nuts. Winchester. That's it's insane drive. In, insane, but gas was 99 cents a gallon, Ryan. Yeah, like, the golden days. I remember that looking at sheets and it's saying 99 cents a gallon. I still talk about that when I... I was so outraged when it went over a dollar. <laughs> and we sound like real old people now. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but uh, that, the, mouse, the mouse capades that happened was because somebody left a fucking door open. And then I was the one that I think it was living in that. I mean, it probably got around all over the house. But um, I think it eventually resolved in some way. I, don't, I think Tim probably killed it. It gave Tim a mission, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He liked he liked having purpose. Um, so, so towards the end of school, you were straddling working and still going through school. I had done a show, yeah, like my, the summer before my last year um, up at a dinner theater in Maryland, and was like making great money, and I was like, why do I have to keep getting a degree in this? Like I'm, I'm making, I'm doing what I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Yeah. Um, which made me come back for my senior year really kind of half-heartedly because I was doing a show with my, you know, boyfriend. Um, we were dating at the time and I was like, I don't want to like, again, with like me being an Oliver, I was obsessed with the other older dinner theater actors and like, getting to know them and like, it's a pattern in my life, right? Um, and I didn't want to come back to school um, that year for my senior year. And I wasn't in it um, emotionally, I guess. I did, I guess the senior year, the fall show was fucking playground. Uh, one of your favorites, which you mentioned over and over again, how much you loved it. Well, I, I swear to God, that's what that was another thing that was responsible for me leaving college early. I mean, right, yeah. right uh, before that, though, or right through the music theater ensemble show was a little night music. And I got to play Henrik in that and um, was very proud of that. That was in the fall. So that was like the only redeeming thing that semester and then I got to play Adam and Children of Eden in the spring and loved those experiences. I felt like I was finally kind of coming into my own and getting cast in, you know, leading roles or supporting roles, which is where I'm much more uh, comfortable. And there was there was a, a whole thing with the financial aid, aid package. If you remember, they were building that football stadium or planning to. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, was it football? Yeah. 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 I'm bad with my sports, but, um, and all of a sudden financial aid was getting like hacked back and there was like a situation with money. And, and also, uh, 
the the price went up. Mm -hmm. I remember that happening when I was there. And so because I had pissed away so much of my, um, there were so many classes I had to retake and was like, I think I would have had to stay another semester after everyone graduated. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, right. You're sitting there going to Burberry. What show were you doing? Greece. Oh, Greece. So you're doing Greece. You're getting paid for it. I'm and playing then... Duty, which Sam Harris played on Broadway. So I'm singing a Sam right. Harris. And you're, you know, you're like, do song. I go back and do Playground? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I understand the like the decision there. Yeah. So you chose to just continue, you know, doing the Burberry and left. I literally finished. Once I made the decision and like was okay with it, I was, I felt like a free man and I didn't care about stigma because there was none. I knew that if I, I made phone calls and was like, so if I come back to the area, I have work, right? And you know, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We have shows for you. So when I, once I realized that I went to rehearsal for children of Eden and that's all I did. I didn't, I stopped going to class because it didn't matter. I was going to leave. As soon as Children of Eden closed, I left. I didn't, you know, there was nothing for me to stay for. Um, and I went and yeah. started working. Did you do crazy for you? Sorry, go ahead, Dustin. But yeah, because it's, you know, you're here you are getting jobs, having things pretty much lined up for you. And they are not asking at all, hey, do you have your degree? Right. No, nor do they care. Yeah. <laughs> nor did they care yeah i played bobby child in crazy for you that was one of the first things i did once you were out and, you and were... i got cast in signature theaters uh gypsy so oh okay and, and was grand hotel soon after that or... 2001 2001 okay so yeah i mean i i started bouncing between dinner theater and professional theater and the thing about that is i was non-equity and it was 2000 2001 and i was making like a hundred and some dollars a week um to live off of right yeah and then you'd go to a dinner theater and make fucking like four hundred dollars in one night from your tables but th there was the whole like oh the respectability blah, blah, blah. and then you know at a certain point i started getting cast more i got my equity card and i just you know right. that was well, that. I mean, it's really about the art uh when it really comes down to it and the show that you're doing yeah um yeah you're working at a dinner theater but if you're being you know fulfilled that way then and dinner theaters do good shows absolutely that's what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. i mean we, i did a i only did a few things i did uh grease i did crazy for you i think there was a music review i went to toby's then which was like the ups more upscale one Damn Yankees. I did Damn Yankees. Yeah. I did Joseph, again, was one of the two Josephs. And then uh, Forever Plaid, which is still one of my favorite shows I've ever done. And then Footloose, which I then went back to Shenandoah and did Footloose during uh, SSMT in like 2002. Oh, um, that's right. And you stayed at the Budget Hotel. <laughs> yeah. I, remember I came and visited. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Back at the Budget Hotel. That's amazing. Um, so, all right. You, you're in D.C. Uh, we're going to kind of stop there because we're going to do just for everybody listening. We're going to eventually be doing a Connor and Smith podcast where Dustin and I will be interviewing both of them together. So we're only going up to a certain point. Right. Um, I want to take it back to uh, 
your childhood. And because uh, for Stephen's birthday this year, we went to Bowl or what is it called? Bolero. Bolero. And we played video games and had beer and it was absolutely amazing. Um, did you get into video games like the NES and the Atari when you were a child? Oh, yeah. A lot. We had uh, the Commodore 64. We had the Atari. Um, I did not have a Nintendo. My friend Ian had a Nintendo, so I would go play Duck Hunt and Tyson's Punch Out and everything over at Ian's house. But um, then I got a Game Boy, uh, which I still have, and all the oh, games. Really? Oh, yeah. That's a nice vintage piece. Keep a hold of that. Keep it nice. Yeah. And then um, then I just went to the arcade with my brother. Did you take the bike? Could you ride your bike to the arcade? No. no? Okay. Um, here's the thing. Why we only rode the bike in the patch was because on the outskirts of the roads uh, leading out, there were pubs. Like, there were bars all surrounding, and people would drive drunk, and it was... Yeah, so we were surrounded mm -hmm. by bars, um, and we were surrounded by bars and dead deer. And uh, this deer is a cutting. this is a fucking nightmare. And man. chainsaw, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is why like, things like that yeah. don't phase me, right? Because I'm like, oh, you mean the sign that's painted in blood? Yeah, it's it's what it is, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I, we, I do want I do want to ask because you you are you know you talk about you know, how much you endeared pop culture uh, growing up, uh, having access to video cameras and, uh, you know, recording and taking a bunch of pictures. Did you scrapbook your life? Do you, like, have every all these shows that you've been in? Uh, you know, did you keep a poster, uh, all of the production stills? Like, I, I, have you gotten into scrapbook heavily, including with all of your, uh, the digital assets you've been able to create? I will say in the... 90s and early 2000s, 100%. Um, my scrapbook does not look like um, most people's. It's very like, I had to be arty with it. I had to be like, everything's like annoyingly tilted. Nothing's like straight on with captions. Like everything's like cutting things out of magazines. And um, yeah, I, I did that for a while. Of course, with the advent of digital photography, um, I feel like everyone just got lazy and either like put their photo things into photo blogs, which I did. Uh, I put my photos into what was the photo thing for a while um, that I like on t on on the internet before Instagram and all that. There was yeah, a, there another was, thing. There was totally a thing like a like a MySpace for photos, but it wasn't MySpace. Yeah, no. I, you know, the digital realm mm -hmm. took over all of that, um, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I did uh, scrapbook uh, at one point. And now you you meta, which is Facebook, right? No, I mean that's basic scrapbooking nowadays. It is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is sad. It's so sad. <laughs> but it's I want something so... tactile to like hold on to and like I turn know. the page and like. Yeah. Something. But yeah, do you know what? I, this is what I will say. I pay once a year. This is so stupid and sad, but like when I die, you know, I want someone to be able to read something or look at something that they can learn about me if they care. I turned my Facebook posts from the past year into a book um, for like a hundred dollars. 
and I get it done every year. Well, that's how they make money. Ah. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> no, but that, yeah, those services that'll take uh, Instagram or Facebook and then turn it into a flippable book, and then you can because that's uh, where I put all volumes. my photos, you yeah. know. And and so is that lazy? Totally, hundred percent. It's convenient. I'm Let's paying someone to scrapbook for me. <laughs> yeah. So Stephen, when. Uh, and I asked Matt this, and and I want to get your perspective on it. But when you want to exercise your brain, when you want to grow, when you when you want to grow, Stephen, when you want to learn something, what do you do? How do you do it? Um, research. I'm a research whore. I love reading. Uh, I love going down wormholes of um, you know little citations. If I'm reading a book and it has a, a little citation note, I go look it up. What's that from? I want that book. Um, when it's like a, a real like historical thing I'm researching, we wrote a show called Monsters of the Villa Diodati that dealt with, you know, Lord Byron, Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley, you know, some of the best writers in the world. Um, that, and, and I wanted to be thorough. And so I read over 30 books, I think, um just in research for that i love um that we have these little mini computers that are in our pockets now Mm -hmm. that we can go on youtube and kind of look up a history of somebody and kind of watch it that's how i i learn um but that's not how i'm inspired i'm very visual i need to either change my so, so I, I have a basement office um, and it looks kind of like a drab basement, but then I have neon kind of light up things that I can put on and the downstairs looks like a different environment and there's colored lights everywhere. And I feel like when I walk through that, I feel um, like I'm not in a boring basement. I love going near water. Uh, water always inspires me. I just love seeing new things and, and I will take photographs of them and whatever and put them into Pinterest boards. And I have to visually get inspired. I have to read to learn. You have to read mm-hmm. to learn? Yeah. Interesting. So I can watch a video and everything, but sure. I really need to read all the fucking like details on something to, to make sure. Because I don't trust... <laughs> To like settle, to settle it in your mind. Uh, Absolutely. I I mean, that's how I, you know, when you memorize lines, I have to look at the same thing over and over. It's how I also learn about something. I never trust when people say, just watch the movie of something because I'm like, that movie isn't it. Oh, the cliff notes are fine. No, (laughs) no. They were in college. They were in college. They were, they were in high school as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So, all right, Stephen, we're going to start wrapping this up here. Uh, Dustin and I are trying to, <clears throat> do our own podcast after uh, we interview both of you together. Uh, it's a spinoff of Connor and Smith. So we're doing a couple of things that we'll probably do on our podcast. I love it. And one of them is word association. Okay. So Dustin, uh, we're going to give you one word and then you just tell us what that, uh, how that makes you feel, what you think. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you can respond as, as much as you need. It doesn't have to be a one word response. What does it evoke in you? What do you feel about the word? Okay. Okay. You you ready? Talent. Charm. 
charm as in I think talent is just how you charm folks or or what your skill does to charm someone else um and to be charmed doesn't mean oh I'm charmed by you it means to be interested um talent is your um it's your cachet it's your whatever you can do that makes someone else interested so charm so uh -huh. do you think it do you think it's learned or do you think it's innate I think both are possible all right I, I think um, I think you are it's innate with many of us, um, but it's also cultivated uh, by others. I mean, they go in I, either are possible. All right, uh, my turn. Uh, intuition. Experience. So experience. Uh, uh, you know, speaks to intuition. The only reason you have intuition is because you've gone through something and know the the, the red flags or the whatever. The, the feeling of something that's happened before uh, colors the intuition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. cool. Is this so not, think... am I playing the game right? There's no, no game. No, you are. It's <laughs> all you. It's all you. So, do you. so under that guise, is your intuition influenceable, influential? Can it be influenced? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. Say it one more time. So it, your intuition comes from experience, but having an intuition towards something that you haven't experienced before, do you see it as being influenced by a movie or a book or something that you are, are co-opting and that is shaping your intuition towards a new experience? This is such a deep question. Um, <laughs> I think when you don't have the experience of a situation, you try to build the experience through anything else your mind can grab. So, for example, when my father was passing away, I would not had that experience before, but I'd seen lots of movies about what happens and figured it would be like that. So my intuition started to play from like, terms of endearment or other things like that and i'm like it's nothing like any of these things but my brain was trying to form the picture with experience it did not possess so absolutely i think if you have some kind of intuition about something you've not experienced it's usually bullshit because you have no real idea um what that is um my pug is <laughs> my pug is digging on the couch and Ryan just threw a pillow on top of his head and he didn't stop and he didn't stop digging that's perseverance anyway anyway that I hope that answers that I um, absolutely I mean that's it's your answer so absolutely that so it's right yeah, good exactly. yes yes Dustin uh, you're up all right um failure uh um greatest fear that's my, it's my greatest fear always is not succeeding. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm that kid who got the lead uh, the first time they auditioned. Um, I'm also the youngest child with a seven year gap. Um, there were a lot of expectations on me always um, and still are. Um, and I think failures that F word that scares me the most. And I think I live my life um, 
trying to avoid that. Um, I, and that's not germane to just me. That's very, uh, that's, you know, a lot of people or a lot of people don't care about failure. I, I, I'm a results oriented kind of person. Um, it working in mediums that aren't always results driven, but, uh, yeah, it's failure is a big, bad F word to me. Don't like to do it. So you avoid, you, uh, obviously you do what you can to avoid it, prepare as much as you can to be on the successful side of things. Do you feel that you learn from it so that you never repeat it twice? I think it's inevitable. I think you have to fail. I think you can't avoid that. And I think it doesn't matter what a hard time I have doing it. Uh, the world doesn't care. It, it, it's just, it's, it's inevitable. So for example, not to go on a big tangent, but I work in an events organization now and we have movie nights during the summer and I draw on my weather skills that we talked about earlier to say whether the movie is a go or not. And if I call, no, it's, it's not a go, it doesn't look good. And then nothing fucking happens. I fail not only as a meteorologist or one that could have been, but also as a, an event planner. And I spend the rest of the evening, as Ryan can attest to, in the backyard going, God damn, I just feel so bad, you know. <laughs> um, well, you know, you set goals for yourself and you want to do the best you can. And, you know, failure is a definition for everybody that's, you know, and it's different for everybody, even though failing is the exact same. It's just the feeling around it and what you feel you're feeling at. One of the, my favorite shows I ever did was a musical called The Boy Detective Fails. And it's based on a book by Joe Mino. Uh, it's a, I recommend it. It's all about failure. Um, and it was a very interesting lesson for me because the point of it, it's like a hardy boy thing, but in real life. Um, he spends the entire show kind of realizing that he doesn't know the answers to everything and that's okay. And so the boy detective failed and that's okay too. And I think that's a, that's, that's a great wrap to the failure word. Yes. <laughs> failure would lead to intuition because that's part of your experience mm -hmm. as well. So, uh, my next question is, uh, competency. Mm -hmm. Uh, competency. What does competency make me think of? Um, not the past four or five years um, in the country. You mean before 2020? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. 2022 right now. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it still feels like it's not over. I don't know why. <laughs> um, competency feels to me like something that we're lacking because everyone's an expert on everything. Everyone has a platform. Look, we're on one. Um, everyone can be right about whatever they feel they're right about, but are they competent? Um, says the guy who didn't get his degree in musical theater yet went on to do it. <laughs> Am I competent in musical theater? Um, I would say yes. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, competency just makes me think of when there is none and how bad that is and how people say, ah, he's not like a politician. He's like me. I like him. And I always think, do you want a plumber to clean your teeth? <laughs> do you want someone who knows what that is? So are they competent in what they're doing? Uh, I would hope. Anyway. Gotcha. Sorry Justin, to get political. Last word association. 
All right. Time. Time? Time. Uh, it's, it's a sort of runic rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> um, time. It's a, it's a thing I um, struggle with. Um, how there isn't as much as you want there to be. Um, there's a, a, a meme that I found once and right after my, our first pug Buddha died and the meme says, the thing is you always think there's going to be more time and you can apply that to, you know, anything, but I, I apply it most to relationships, life, um, uh, having lost my father in 2019, that's, it's like a huge thing for any anybody uh but it's it was um the 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 whole mortal issues uh losing my dog my grandmother my father within like a span of like three years it was just like the hits keep coming so time makes me think of um the finite kind of amount of time we have to do things and it lights a fire under my ass to do everything i can do the best that i can do it in the time that I have uh, makes me want to work even harder. It makes me want to write. I have so many stories in me that um, I've been drudging out and trying to like go stop. Like who's gonna write this? If you don't write this, it's just gonna stay in your head and rot. So you gotta get it on paper. Okay, is it any good on paper? Great. What are you gonna do after it's on paper? You gotta get it out there. Can someone else speak it? Can you hear it? Um, okay, now your story is a story that someone's speaking that's not you. So you can get out of your head and hear your story. Is your story any good? Does it matter? You got it out of your head. Um, you only have so much time. And that's what I think of when I hear the word time. I also did a show called Tick, Tick, Boom, where I played Jonathan Larson pre-rent. And I, the Tick, Tick, Boom that he hears in his head always is like the Tick, Tick of, you know, he died prematurely and as we all know and I think of that and doing that show has always made me go you have x amount of time on this planet like what are you doing you've got to do whatever you want to do in this finite amount and you know I, I love the campaign it gets better for you know teenage kids or younger kids but in truth it's not true. It doesn't get better. Things get fucking worse. Uh, it's it's the, the, the lesson is things get worse. So you only have so much time to do things in before things get worse. So that's what I think of when I hear time. Isn't that uplifting? It's very uplifting. And on that note, we're going to finish off with two random questions. Great. All right. My question is, have you ever written graffiti? Yes. Tell us about it. Uh, Signature Theater's old space was closing before the new space opened. And on that closing night, uh, we had a final cabaret and uh, singing the, the hits. And, you know, Broadway actors were down, whatever. We got rip-roaring drunk and vandalized the old space. I think I was there for that. I think you were too. Yeah, yeah. And yes, I actually, we all had spray paint wrote things all over the walls and the stage and everything and it was uh very fun that's the only <laughs> only time i've ever done graffiti dustin 
What, uh, this isn't the random question, but what kind of car do you have? A Honda Fit. A Honda Fit. Okay. Is there a thing in your car that you keep wanting to take out, but you keep forgetting to? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? What is it? So, hun, when did we get the blue car? 2020? Yeah. So, uh, in I think 2019, I had a birthday party, and somebody gave me a bag of, like, random things. It was, like, a great present, because it was, like, there's so many little things, and they're all, like, cheap, but isn't this kind of fun that's all together? And one of them was this little piece of jerky, like a Slim Jim, but it was, like, chicken or something. Um, and something, like, I, pro like, I love Slim Jims, don't get me wrong. But this was just like, oh, what, what is that? That looks weird. I've had ostrich jerky. I don't know why. I've had venison as we went back to. I don't know why. I'm, but this mystery meat jerky has been. So let me preface this. I went through this bag uh, after this birthday party and was like disseminated the items to like wherever they should go. I was like, what do I do with this jerky? Uh, you know, I'm going to put this in the car in case I just like, you know, I'm famished. I need a snack. And then. Um, it's been there since 2020 and now it's in the, the hidden glove box because I don't, it used to be in the cup holder, like for immediate access, <laughs> but then I started feeling bad seeing it. So I started hiding it. And now every time I go to the gym, I take my wallet. Well, I shouldn't say that. Never mind. I don't want to say where I put my wallet. Oh, everyone's going to break in my car now. No, but the jerky's still in the car and I can't bring myself to throw it out. And I can't bring myself to eat it. And I somehow in my head go, if there is some kind of nuclear apocalypse, I have a little bit of food. And <laughs> you'll die like maybe, maybe a day later than you would have. Mm. <laughs> or that big snowstorm that caught everybody on what, the 95 or something like that, where everybody was like totally trapped and they had to, for a oh, day or two. Oh, there you go. That's true, Dustin. That's so true. But I still probably wouldn't eat it. I mean, I, that, I don't know why I keep it. I'm going to throw it out this week, I think. Thank you for asking that. <laughs> oh, God. We thank you so much, Stephen. It's been a fucking blast. And Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you so much. Hey, and, this has been a great one. And we'll hear from you again uh, with Matt uh, for the Connor and Smith podcast, interviewing Connor and Smith with Dustin and I. And again, just keep an ear out for uh, our spinoff at some point after that. Um, but uh, hope you all uh, have a good uh, rest of your day, evening, whenever you're listening to this. All right. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.